Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Well, I'm not sure how you uh, spend uh, your childhood, but mine was pretty, you know, pretty weird. And uh, a lot of times I got myself in a lot of trouble. Uh, I remember when I was about maybe 12 years old. I don't remember exactly how old I was. Uh, but, you know, I lived in the country that we were not very, you know, rich, so we couldn't really buy things for ourselves. And uh, I really wanted to get a radio. And obviously my parents couldn't really afford a radio. And I heard that this Christian radio station is giving away radios for people to listen, you know. But that's the thing, though. We had a big radio at home. It's just, it wasn't mine. I couldn't really carry it around. I wanted to have a radio of my own. So I sort of kind of, you know, bended the truth a little. Um, Well, lied, really. I I basically wrote this huge letter to the radio station. I said, hey, I I, I really think you guys should give me a radio because I have a friend of mine. uh, I made up that friend, by the way, um, that really needs Jesus. And, uh, you know, I really want to give him this radio. But he was, you know, this friend I was talking about, it was me. Um, And he really needs, you know, to hear you know, this radio station. So if you can send me a radio, that would be great. So I send my letter in. Um, and then, you know, I, I, you know, I listen to this radio station a lot. And like, at not like at maybe at 7 p.m., right? I hear them saying, hey, we got a letter in. And I'm like, no. I'm like, don't read it. Like, don't read. It's like, it's from Slavic Morado, you know, from this, you know, era, area, you know. Turns out the whole village was listening to the same radio station at that moment, right? Because they obviously, their ears perked up because, hey, we know this kid, right? He goes to our school. And then, like, you know, they actually go ahead and they read the whole le- letter. And this friend that I made up, I actually used one of my, co- you know, people that I went to school with. I used their name. Well, imagine me going to school the next day. Everyone knew that I made up a story. Everyone knew that I lied. You know, now the radio station didn't know. They sent me that radio and I got what I wanted. But by that time, it didn't really felt felt as good to have that radio. Every single time I I looked at this radio, it was a reminder of my shame story. Well, people, you know, soon forgot uh, about the story, even though a lot of people made fun of me, and they constantly point to that. But, you know, I, I remember, like, how ashamed I felt. And I felt like I cannot really hide underneath anything. I just really felt the weight of that shame, and it would just not go away. It's one thing when you lie to someone, and you go and you ask for forgiveness, but it was really hard for me. I mean, what do I do? Do I write out a letter and saying, oh, here's the radio back? Uh, it was really bad that I lied um, because I still wanted the radio regardless. <laughs> and I remember this story and I'm just like, man, why would, why would I ever want to do that again? Like, why would I ever want to put myself in a situation like that? But see, I wish to tell you that things didn't stop because I, I wish to tell you that things have stopped, but they didn't. I remember this one particular time when we moved here. And I was going to a graduation of mine, and my parents were so, you know, they're so grateful that I was graduating, and they were so proud of me. 
But before that, I walked into a store and I took something without paying for it, and I got caught. Well, that was the first time I. So that was the first time I lied publicly, like on the national scale.、Uh, and then this time was the first time that I stole and I got caught. And both time I look at the, those moments and I'm like, I am so glad that I got caught. Because you know, if I didn't get caught, I would have probably continued on lying, and and, and it could have ended a lot worse. So when I walked into the store, I bought.、Some, uh, I didn't buy it. I stole it, and without buying it, and I walked out, and I got caught, and they told me they're going to take me to jail. But I really told them that I'm going to my graduation. This is my high school graduation, to be exact. And they're like, okay, we'll let you go, but you're gonna have to pay a fine of two hundred fifty dollars. That was about three weeks of work for me. And I remember coming to my graduation, and my parents were so proud of me. Like, wow, our son graduated high school. But I'm sitting there, I'm just thinking, like, if you just knew what I did about half an hour before this, if you just knew who I really was, and it's just something that I, I, for years, I would look back and say that was not a good experience. That was not something. And my my thing. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about shame. I want to talk a little bit about guilt. I think every single one of us have moments that we do something that maybe we didn't intend, and then maybe there's a way for us to kind of like go around and try to fix that. And maybe we do a pretty good job、uh, trying to fix the, what we just messed up on. But how do you fix something when the whole nation knows that you're a liar? Well, my whole village knew. I'm not the whole nation, but that was publicly on the whole nation. It was a national radio station. How do you fix things that you are ashamed of and you're guilty of that you don't really have a way out? How, how do you, you know, fix some of the sins that you can't really take back what you said? You can't put the cat back in the bag. You know what I mean? Like、uh, Pastor Russell had this this sermon of of like gossip, and he says, you know, when you so he, he took this trash can, right, and he had like this baseball bat. And he had one of the guys in the church, like literally, just beat the trash can, you know, in front of the church. <laughs> and then he says, "Well, how do you unbend this now? When you go ahead and you start talking bad about people and you destroy their character, how do you unpack that? Because it just went to a whole bunch of people. Well, when you, or another illustration is taking a pillow and just kind of spreading all the the feathers, and then trying to put all the feathers back in the bag. Like you can't do that." I mean, how? I mean, it's all all over the place. So, how do you deal with shame and guilt and sin in your life that you know you can't you can't deal with? Well, we have this in Ephesians two. Says this: Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey him. So, so, so we're giving this that once we were like that too. I love this passage by Apostle Paul. He says in a different passage, he says, "You used to be drunk. You used to be sexually immoral. You used to be all that, but you're no longer that. You are a new creation in Christ. You no longer have to obey what Apostle Paul is saying here. Is you don't no longer have to obey the passions. You no longer have to obey the enemy. You don't because that he was the spirit that worked the, in the hearts of people who are not after God. But once you follow after Jesus, you no longer have to you know be under that. 
You see, because when we look at sin, when we look at shame, right? My question to you is, what, what are you dealing with this morning? Maybe you had a parent that you didn't treat well, and then now you don't really have a chance to ask for forgiveness because they passed away. How do you fix that? Or maybe if you're a parent and you did something to your kid or you, you, you abandoned them for a season, right? Like, how do you fix that? How can you go back in time and try to fix that? Um, I just got back from, from Bible college and I, I never realized students, they bombard you with questions and they're hard. You know, like I would just literally wake up in the morning, go to college and then the first questions in the morning, I'm like, what do you guys come up with these questions? They are hard to answer. And everyone sort of expects that you can give them a black and white answer. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. But I, I reckon to say that, that complicated questions have really complicated answers. A lot of times we like things to just be, oh, you just, you just fix that. Well, you can't because once you broke something, it's really hard to, you know, sort of put Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? Like it's, it's not that easy. When you gossip about someone, when you did something to someone, it's not that hard to go and try to fix things. How do you deal with things that you can't fix? You know, because you see, we have this, this nature in us. We have this conscious in us that tells us constantly that this is wrong. This, this is not how things ought to be. But imagine if you were Adam for a second. What if your shame story is not necessarily just you lying about a small, stupid radio, but it's about breaking humanity? Well, what if you were Adam, right? Like, you're the one, it's like, Adam, you had one job. Like, you could eat out of everything. You and your wife, Eve, like, you could have, you could have, you could have eaten from any tree. You had one job. And it's not even a job. It's one thing to stay away. How do you mess that up? Well, we did. We have, like, I think humans in general, we have a really, really interesting way of constantly messing things up. Constantly come away, come up with ways to mess things up. Come up with ways to become evil. We're, we've sort of mastered that, if you haven't noticed. So, so how do you fix, how do you go about trying to fix that? Because you see, you can go and start covering yourself like Adam and Eve did, right? Like they said that they were naked and ashamed. And then when they sinned, they realized they were naked. And they decided they're going to cover themselves with fig leaves. You know the problem with fig leaves, though. They dry up. Right? And then they're not as flexible anymore. And they fall down. So that covering is not going to cover you for a very long time. But what I love about God in this essence, when God is angry with Adam and Eve because of what they've done. Like a lot of people think that God is just, you know, a lot of preachers preach this. God is not angry with you. Well, God is angry with anyone that sins. You know, that's not to say that God doesn't love, doesn't love you. Like if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're a parent and your kid really lied to you, don't tell me that doesn't make you angry. You have a righteous anger. Like that's, you are my kid and you will not be doing that. I didn't raise you this way. Right? So God, even though God is extremely displeased with what Adam and Eve did, what I'm, what I'm so taken back, if you, if you read a little bit further, he says that God sewed for them clothes. He says that God killed some animals and sewed clothes for them. 
It's this amazing thing that even when God was extremely displeased with Adam and Eve, God, in His grace and His mercy, still decided to provide for them. But what I love even more is that in that fall, God gives us a, a, a glimpse of one day there will be a redemption. We see in, uh, I believe it's in Genesis 3.15. Yeah, it's Genesis 3.15. He says this, this powerful verse when God is rebuking the enemy and says, And I will cause hostility between the woman and between your offspring. So the, the offspring of the woman and your offsprings. And her offspring will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You, you will strike his heel. It's kind of an odd sort of imagery, right? Like he says the offspring of the woman will crush or strike your head, but you will bruise his heel. What God is saying here is that one day on the cross, you know, the, the offspring, so Mary has Jesus, right? Like obviously we understand Jesus came through Mary, but he says that one day the seed of the woman, Jesus, will crush your head on the cross. Yes, you will bruise his body, you will bruise his heel, but one day there will be a redemption for this. One day, Satan, you will be destroyed. Your, your head will be crushed, is what God is saying here. So even in the fall, God gives us this glimpse that one day he will redeem humanity. He says that in your shame, there is hope for restoration. In your shame, God not only provides for you still, but He says, I will, I have a plan to redeem you. I have a plan to redeem you. Now, God makes it very clear that He's not okay with sin. In Romans 6.23, He says, for the, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he, what He's saying is, is the payment, your paycheck for sin is death. Remember when, when God talks to, to Adam and says, hey, don't do this because if you were to eat from this tree, you will surely die. Now, it's not like Adam, you know, took a bite out of the apple or it wasn't actually an apple. It was a fruit. The Bible doesn't say it was an apple, but he, it's not like he took a bite and then he dropped dead. No, but that sin. So, so you see, every single time we decide to do something that's not in God's, you know, plan for us, we choose to cause a separation between us and God. And because God is the ultimate source of life, we choose uh, we choose sin. And when we choose sin, we choose death by default. Just think of you being in a desert, and you find you find out the only source of water is right here. Where you choose, if you choose to walk away from that source of water, you're choosing to walk away towards your death, right? So what God's saying here is that if you do this, if you try to think for yourself, oh, what's what's right and what's what's wrong, this is going to cause a rift between me and you, and you're going to separate yourself from the only source of life. And because you're separating yourself from the only source of life, you are choosing death by default. Your body will start to decay. You, you will bring corruption in the whole universe. 
and everyone will have to deal with this. I wonder if Adam would have still taken the bite of that fruit if he saw all the the rape and the murder and the evil and the lying and the cheating and this and all the people in Africa that are dying right now of hunger. And if if Adam would have to see for a quarter of time all this brokenness of the one bite would have would have brought in, would he still take that bite? You know, I wonder about my life. If, I, if you were to see the brokenness that, you know, I just want to do my thing, bro, will cause in your life. If you only, if you only could see, you know, instead of agreeing with God, agreeing with what you have for your life would bring into your life. I don't think we would have made the same choices. So, so, so the whole idea is, is we have two worldviews here. We either believe what God says and follow that, where we decide that we're going to be like Adam and decide for ourselves what's good and what's bad for us. And for, so far, how's that working for us? Oh, we, we see in the book of Judges, at the end it says, everyone, it's, it's almost a book of like disappointment, right? Like at the end of the book of Judges, it says, everyone was doing what, what seemed right in their own eyes. Can there be any better verse to describe a present generation? Just do anything you want to. Like, just do whatever you want to do. How's that working for us? Because, you see, every single time we separate ourselves, God says the wages of that, the paycheck of that, the consequences of that is death. And that, someone's going to have to pay for that. It's going to come, it's going to cause shame and guilt. And it's going to destroy you. Now, sins are of different kind. There's sins called just regular sin, which sin is, is basically falling short of God's standard. There's sins of commission and then sins of omission. So, sins of commission, you're supposed to not do something and you did it, right? Like, you, you, you looked at something you weren't supposed to, right? Like, you committed something. And then there's sins of omission where you're supposed to small, open that small group, but you kind of kept them putting on God lazy. So you omiss to do something where you didn't do something you're supposed to. You did something that's not, you know, uh, you, you didn't do something you're supposed to, basically. There's different kinds of sins. But sin is basically saying that you are falling short of the standard that God set for us. For us. And we constantly do this every single day. We sin every single day. We either commit something or we forget to do something. Or we don't live in faith. And because of that, right, like, you know, we, we sin. But there's other forms of sin that's a lot more, you know, more serious. For example, transgressions. A transgression is a transpass against somebody else. So that sin not only involves you and God, it involves another person. Right? You transpassed. Like me stealing from my, uh, you know, uh, my former employer. By the way, that was, when I told you that story about like me stealing from the store, uh, was actually from my former employer. I used to work there. Imagine, I, I knew what the kind of the process. Imagine when every, all my coworkers that still work there, I'm walking in with my bag, right? And everyone's looking, did, wait, what? Right? So when you steal from someone, when you are doing something where you are gossiping, you are causing a transgression against that person or a trespass against that, that person. Okay? So that's a more serious, because it's not just you, it involves you, it also involves other people here. And sort of like this, the third kind of level of sin is what we know as iniquity. Iniquity is not only sinning, regardless if it's falling short of God's glory or all that, or a trespass, 
But you just rejoice in our sin. You boast about it. You, you have your whole agenda. You try to get everyone to sin with you. That is already iniquity. So, so there's different kinds of sin. It's not just, you know, any sin will keep us out of heaven. Any sin will cause us death. So, so when we talk about, we can't just dismiss like, so, so here's, here's the, the reason I'm mentioning this. Because if it's just a sin, you have to confess it to God. If it's a transgression or trespass, not only do we have to confess it to God, you also have to go make restitution with that person. You have to say, hey, I stole from you and here's this back. In my case, I, would, I should have returned the radio and write another letter and saying, hey, this was wrong and I'm so ashamed of what I've done. Right? So, so it's not just, because a lot of people, they, they'll go and they'll ask forgiveness from the Lord, right? But they still feel guilty. You know they, why they still feel guilty? Because there's another party that's offended. And you have to go and you have to make restitution with that person. So, so if you are, 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 said something in church where you, you have a problem or a fight with someone, you can't just go and ask God for forgiveness. You have to do that, but you also have to go and make it right with that person. You have to do that. But if we're talking about iniquity, that needs to really, we really have to spend before. I think iniquity, iniquity, iniquity is more like when almost a whole nation is joining on this sin. When a whole church decides that this is our position, even though it's unbiblical. Right? So iniquity is not just one person doing this. It's kind of like people are promoting it and people are joining on this. So it's a serious sort of sin. So how do we deal with this? How do we, you know, go from, from that? Well, we understand that Jesus paid for all sin. You know, not just iniquity and transgressions, but also regular sin. He, he paid for all of that. How did he pay for that? Well, in the Old Testament, we have this amazing kind of like, I think it's Leviticus 16. We, we have this kind of crazy story, right? Of, of God saying, when you bring sacrifice, bring two goats. One of them should be put on the altar and be sacrificed. The other one, we're going to put the sins of the people on this goat, right? And this goat will be kicked out of town. And the weird thing about this whole situation is that when this goat, so the priest will put like, you know, kind of symbolically, right? Will put the iniquity of the people on the goat. This goat would be sort of like the most hated animal in town. People would kick it and spit it in its, you know, in its face. Uh, people would spit on it. People would be disgusted by this goat because they understood this is all people's iniquity. Because you see, when it comes to transgression, trespassing, you know, the first goat would be brought for that and it would be put you know, on the, on the altar, obviously, and this would atone for the sin that was done, right? Like, it would pay the sin that was done. But God will use this other goat to say that iniquity had to be driven away into the wilderness from the people. So it symbolized that God not only paid for sin, but also He wants the iniquity to go out of the, out of the, this area. Now, I know it's kind of like a morning, like, you know, history lesson here, but, but, you know, stay with me on this. Because you see, that's what we, that's where we get this like, concept of a scapegoat. 
you, you've heard it in like, you know, mysticism and le- legends, like this idea that we take all of our problems and we put it on the person or we put it on, on something, right? And we drive it away. Because you see, when we sin, the first thing that we find ourselves doing is, is just blame someone. So if you're, if you're, if you're Eve or if you're Adam, you say, well, Eve gave this to me. And oh yeah, but see, it, Eve is like, well, that's not my fault. It's actually the enemy's fault. Right? So it, there's a, there's a point for us that every time we sin, we try to pass the buck on something else, right? Like, we try to say, well, it, you know, you, if I, if I was raised better, so it's my parents' fault. You know, if, if I just wasn't drunk that night, so it's alcohol's fault. If I was just this, and we try to justify and make it better, but you at the end of the day know that this is a lapse in judgment. You knew that this is, this is, you've done that. So we can go around and blame, or some people will either blame other people, or they start blaming themselves. Either those of those extremes are not really healthy. Right, because on one hand, because you see, sin creates blame, and that blame has to go on someone. Right, so if it's on other people, like if you, if you go through a whole life, I mean, especially in the modern day culture, right, like everyone's a victim. Everyone's been offended. Right? I'm offended because of this, I'm offended because of that. And, and, but the thing is, again, like I mentioned last time, that doesn't fix things. Right? So we start blaming other people, or, you know, and we deflect any responsibility that we have. Or we start blaming ourselves. And like in college this week, I, would, I got like, we, we did these things where I would ask them to write a, a note. And uh, they would, and then I would read that note aloud. It was anonymous. But a lot of people would say, please pray for me because, you know, I'm dealing, I cannot forgive myself. And I'll get a lot of these notes. And I'm like, well, you understand that if Jesus has forgiven you, how can you say that I cannot forgive myself? Like, is your authority more important than Jesus's? Right? But we have this tendency to either blame other people or go into kind of like a depression uh, or a desperation state where we are constantly like blaming ourselves like, yeah, I'm just horrible. I am just so guilty, which could be true, but also doesn't fix things. So what we need to do is say, okay, this is the blame. Can we find someone to place it in? And this is the hope that we have in the gospel. That Jesus took our shame, took all guilt, uh, took our, our, our guilt, took it to the cross. That is the beautiful thing about this gospel. Look at this, Ephesians 2 4. But God is so rich in mercy that He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life. When he was raised, when he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. That is the amazing thing of the gospel is that I can take all my sins and say, all my shame, all all my guilt and say, Lord, I, I, I feel really bad about this. Lord, I bring him to you and I put him on the cross. And Lord, would you just wash this? Would you make me in the person you created me to be? God, would you not allow me to be influenced or controlled by the enemy who is in the hearts of anyone who is not following after him? God, would you just change and transform me? I heard the story, um, this happened in 2003. It was uh, the 
national baseball uh, kind of game championship between the Chicago uh, Chicago Cubs and the Florida Maryland's, I think. And they were playing, and if Chicago Cubs would have won this kind of national championship, it would have been the first kind of victory since 1945. So as they were p- playing, right, they, they throw the ball, and this guy's about to catch it. And this fan, his name is Steve uh, Bartman, you can look him up, and like he just goes and he grabs what otherwise would have been a, a catch by the player. So he grabs the ball and kind of like messes up the whole game, right? And because of that, a lot of people say the Chicago Cubs actually lost. So people start hating so much because you see all the Chicago Cub fans, right? Like they really wanted to put the blame on someone. And who do you blame? The guy who messed up the game. Even though nobody really knows if that would have actually got him to win the game or not. But he inter- uh, intervened, and because he intervened, he says that security had to escort him out because people started throwing things at him. And he wasn't hiding for about 10 or 15 years because people were looking, like people published his address for someone to go and cause harm. And I'm like, this is when you know that baseball became an idol. Uh, but, but like, it, it amazes me. Like people were looking for someone to blame and they found this random guy that, yeah, it, okay, it's his fault. He shouldn't have done that. But he became the scapegoat of everyone's anger. And I'm like, somebody needs to go to the cross. I'm like, somebody needs to go to Jesus. Like, you can't be putting all your blame on this one guy. Like, first of all, who cares about baseball 10 years from now? But um, <laughs> we, we have this, this picture that we constantly look somehow to shift the blame of our sin, cause to look for one scapegoat. Where, well, we have this scapegoat. His name is Jesus. Just, just like these two goats in the Old Testament, they were a picture of what Jesus is going to do someday. Right? So, so one of them will be sacrificed where Jesus died on the cross and he fulfilled that sacrifice. And the other one was kicked and, and then spit at. And then he was driven, well, well, the goat would be driven into the wilderness. Jesus was actually crucified outside of Jerusalem because people said, okay, well, we don't want him to be crucified here. So he, he was driven outside of Jerusalem and people would spit on him. People would kick him and hurl insults at him. Jesus became the scapegoat for all of our sin. Now, beloved, what do we do in light of that? How do we change? Well, what are the steps that we sort of can, can, can learn from that? Well, if you have come in here and you feel guilty and you feel ashamed, go to the cross. I think that's our first step that we need to do is, is literally to, to go to the cross. Because you see, one people, a lot of people don't realize that the cross was, was not a beautiful thing. A lot of times people sing about the cross and we kind of turn it into this beautiful thing. But the cross is an instrument of torture. There's nothing beautiful about the cross. It's like someone, somebody looking at an electric chair and saying, oh, that's great. I can't wait to use it. Like, no, like that is an instrument of torture. The cross is rugged. The cross was dirty. The cross was painful. The cross was heavy. What was beautiful about the cross is what, what was achieved through the cross. You see, the cross was designed to inflict the maximum amount of pain and also to expose 
the victim, right, to the, the most amount of shame. People will be crucified and they will be naked, so be shamed and, and publicly, you know, um, you know, spit at and people hurl insults on the people on the cross. And also was designed to inflict the maximum amount of pain. So, so every single time they would, would have, so, so a lot of doctors say this, that people would die from what they know as, I can't even pronounce that, but basically they would, would, their lungs would collapse because every single time they would have to take a breath, right? Like they would have to pull themselves up and, and, and they would like, it's, it's a horrible way to die is all I'm saying, right? So it's designed to inflict that. So if you are dealing with shame, well, Jesus was publicly crucified naked for us, for us not to carry that shame any longer. If you're dealing with pain and heartbreak and, and, well, Jesus, you know, there's this beautiful passage we have in Isaiah that says, by his stripes we are healed. So, so if this, this morning you, you, you want to get rid of shame or guilt, there's room on the cross for us to say, God, you've done this for us. You already paid the price. And if you're dealing for, if you're, if you're looking for, uh, to be healed and restored by his stripes we are healed. He heals our, our disease and our sicknesses. He heals our relationships. He heals every single thing in our life that doesn't work according to what was intended to work like. He heals our souls. Amen. He heals us from inside out. Every single time we feel desperate, every single time we feel you know, in depression, He is the one who came and took all of that. And look at this. In Ephesians you know, we have this verse 6 is this, For He raised us up from the dead along with Christ, and He has seated us with Him in the heavenly realm, uh, because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all that He has done for us, and who are united with Christ Jesus. So see, it's, He gave us this chance, right? To not only come to the cross, he, he gave us this chance that through his death and resurrection, now we no longer are, you know, destined for hell. We're destined for eternity. He says that we right now are seated with him. Well, how's that work? Because I'm kind of here right now. What that means is that once you accept Jesus and his sacrifice, then automatically you're written in heaven as, hey, this person belongs to me. Right? But for that to happen, we have to first seek that through repentance. Romans 2.4 says, Don't you see the, how, how wonderful, kind, and tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin or lead you to repentance? So what leads us to repentance? It's not His fire and gloom and doom. It says, it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to come to Him in repentance and say, Lord, I bring you this shame. Because you see, the next thing is, is that if you come in repentance and you accept His sacrifice on behalf of yours, right? Instead of you sacrificing yourself, you accept His sacrifice. In Romans 8, 1 says that we no longer have any con- condemnation. Romans 8.1 says this, so now, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. Can anybody say amen? amen? 
For those who are in Christ Jesus, you no longer have to carry the shame. You no longer have to deal with demonic oppression and suicidal spirits. You no longer have to deal with what happened, the abuse or that, that happened to you as a kid. Like You no longer have to deal with any of that. You can bring to the cross and say, God heals, God restores. I no longer feel like I am a victim because I am, I am strong in Him. I have His hope. I have, his, his, I have his, uh, his joy in my life. I have His strength. I no longer have to walk around like a victim. I no longer have to blame myself and walk in, in condemnation and walk in guilt. Because that's what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants you to walk constantly in guilt and shame. Because he understands when you do that, you're defeated. There's a beautiful verse that says, you know, His joy is our strength. So what is our strength? It's His joy. It's not our shame and our guilt. We need to bring that to the cross and His joy is our strength. So if you're walking around, you know, defeated, can I introduce you to His joy? But you can't experience joy unless you understand that your, your sin was paid for. And it was changed and restored. And you no longer have to walk in that. You're no longer defined by your previous divorce. You're no longer defined by your previous sin. You no longer have to be defined by your previous addiction. You have a new your life in Him. You, you died with Him and you, now you're raised to new life with Him. That's what we do in baptism. Dunk Him in, pull Him out, right? Like we die in our, our old nature and we're raised, raised up with Him in our new nature. That is the hope that we have. So once we repent, there's no longer condemnation. And we have immediate justification. You don't have to go around and be like, Oh, well, yeah, well, I'm so sorry, but you got to understand. Like, you don't have to justify yourself anymore. Because in Him, you're automatically justified. You can go and say, Hey, what I did was wrong and was broken. But please understand, God has changed my heart. And if there's some way I can restore anything back to you, I'd love to do that. But I refuse to walk around, have this victim mentality, because I am strong in Him. He's changed me, He's transformed me, I no longer make excuses for that. But we have to also keep in mind that salvation to us, and in the last few different points I want to make, salvation to us, please don't forget that it's given to us for free. Ephesians 8, uh, I'm sorry, 2.8, God saved us by His grace when He believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is God's gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. So none of us can boast about it. There's a tendency once you come to Christ to sort of say like, Well, God, thank you for saving me, but let me take it from here. Let me show what I can do. I, I can do a lot, actually. <laughs> it's not like God can sit back and be like, Oh, wow, show me what you can do. Like, I've never seen that before. Is there anything we can do that God can say like, Wow. Well, in my all my wisdom, infinite wisdom and creation, like I've never seen that again. There's no, nothing that we can do to impress Him. Because He's already in love with you. He already cares about you. And it's kind of like, it's not those impressions that are like, oh, He knows computer science and He knows this and that. You know how God is impressed with us? Just like a parent is impressed with their kid taking the first steps. As if people didn't take the first steps before. Like, did you see that? He took his first step. He said, Mom, it's like, it's not a huge accomplishment, honestly. Like, um, people have done it for ages before. But because it's your kid, or my, like, if it's my nephew or my niece, right? Like, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. He, it's like, 
not that impressive. But to you, it's impressive because you love them. That's how God is impressed about us. Because He loves us. Not because we're so smart. Not because we, oh, we can do all things on our own type of thing. Right? So understand that you can't say to God, God, yeah, it's great what you've done, but let, let, let me show you from here. He said it is finished on the cross. Okay, so then why should we act nice to each other? Because if I don't have to, I'm, I'm going to do it. And like if I'm, you know, if I don't have to serve, then I might as well spend my time, you know, fishing. Because I don't have to do it. Well, you see, salvation is given to us for free, but sanctification is a process that might take us a whole lifetime. It's a process where God constantly breaks you. It makes you more and more like Christ every single day. And God's going to place you in a church that's really hard to serve. So He can break you. And when people come up to me, and these young kids, and they're like, oh man, I'm just going to build a bigger ministry than the city. I'm going to build bigger than yours. And like, it's going to be great because God's called me to big things. And I look at them, I'm like, ooh, the Lord has not broken you yet. <laughs> oh, you'll see once you try to do a ministry, how easy that's going to be. When people come in, they're extremely messy. And you'll see how you got to say, God, please give me just one more day of your grace because I can't move on. I, I can't do this, God. I, I need you to strengthen me on this one. You'll realize it pretty quickly. Sanctification is a process by which we constantly die to ourselves. And we, if we follow after Jesus, we understand at some point this road that we're on is going to lead to the cross. We're going to have to crucify our flesh every single day. It's not an easy process. It's painful, but it's worth it. Ephesians um, 2.8, it says, God saved it by His grace, and you believed, and you can't take credit for this. Right? And then Romans 12 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies because of God, of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. So what he's saying is, give your life as a living sacrifice. You know the problem with giving a living sacrifice? Living things tend to crawl off the altar. The moment you put them under pressure and under fire, they won't get out. So when the pastor squeezes on you and like, hey, you got to lead a small group. Oh, no. Like, do you understand how hard this is? Oh, that's being a living sacrifice, dying your passions, your dreams, and all that, and say, God, yours. I'm going to embrace what you have for me. Not my passions and my dreams and all, all that and so forth. In the last few minutes that I have left, why do we do all this? We do this because we have this verse amazing that says in Colossians 1.27, says this, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. Another ver- a translation say, Christ in us is the hope of glory. Christ in us tells us that one day our motives will be free from anything that's corrupt. The one day he'll put back things how they were supposed to be. The one day we get to share with him in eternity and to share in his glory. We get to adopt it in the family of God. That's why. So if you, if you came in the house and maybe you are broken, maybe you were dealing through 
Look at the Ephesians 2.10. It says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do good things He planned for us long ago. What I want to tell you is God specializes in broken vessels. If you don't believe me, I'm going to read this to you. Because you probably have heard this before. But look at this. Jacob was a cheater. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Martha was a warrior. Well, it says she worried, not a warrior. <laughs> Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody or depressed. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. So, what is your excuse? You see, I think the cross leaves us with no excuses. We can't go to the cross and say we're guilty. The cross is all about that. We can't come to the cross and still walk away shamed and guilt. The cross gives us confidence in what we do and who we are to walk with Him every single day. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.